0: Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing, or find us in your favorite podcast app.
1: Good evening. We're just an hour away from the first of three CNN town halls tonight. Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, and Tom Steyer taking questions from voters in South Carolina. Michael Bloomberg postponed his appearance tonight, opting instead to prep more for tomorrow night's debate, which could be crucial given his performance his first time out and reports that he appears to be positioning himself to try and focus his attacks at the debate on Bernie Sanders. Then there's Joe Biden trying to make South Carolina the spark that revives his campaign. He's reportedly about to earn the endorsement of one of the state's most influential Democrats, Congressman James Clyburn. We'll talk about all of that, plus new reporting on Russian interference, which a senior FBI official today said was driven by a desire to, quote, watch us tear ourselves apart. Russian dissident and chess master uh, grandmaster Gary Kasparov joins us with uh, his thoughts on the subject. And along those lines, reporting from CNN and elsewhere that the White House uh, and uh, White House allies have been making lists of government officials to be purged because they're perceived to be disloyal to the president the kind of thing that used to happen a lot of the Kremlin happening here and now. First, though, the Democratic race, new insights from the results in Nevada and what am I might say about South Carolina. Let's begin with our political director, David Chalian, who's in Charleston tonight. So, David, is there a sense of whether the Nevada results have shifted the dynamic in South Carolina, particularly for Senator Sanders and former Vice President Biden?
2: Yeah, well, Anderson, it's shifted the entire race because what we have now after Senator Sanders Commanding victory in Nevada over the weekend is a clear dominant frontrunner for the Democratic nomination in this race. And that is uh, Bernie Sanders, the senator uh, from Vermont. Uh, you are, you are right to note the new dynamic. And trust me, Senator Sanders must be aware of it today, too, because uh, with being the frontrunner Anderson, uh, of course, comes uh, all that scrutiny. Uh, I mean, he has been facing an onslaught from fellow democratic members of congress today never mind his own democratic opponents in the presidential race uh sort of going after him and scrutinizing his comments to you on 60 minutes about uh Fidel Castro and praising the literacy program uh he had run there in in Cuba uh comments he made about uh criticizing uh, a pro-Israel lobby group AIPAC uh he's feeling the heat and scrutiny of his new front-runner status. And Sanders is
1: obviously, you know, trying to win over more African-American voters. He, he has made strides uh, with African-American voters. Um, but Sanders could obviously survive a second-place finish in South Carolina. Could, could Biden?
2: Joe Biden says he's going to win here. So he has set the bar for himself at sort of victory or bust in many ways here. Uh, you are right. I have no doubt that Senator Sanders, who's now amassed uh, a significant delegate lead in the race in these early contests, uh, could survive a second place showing here, especially to your point, if he shows he's made progress with the African-American vote from four years ago in his contest against Hillary Clinton, where she sort of wiped the floor with him uh, with the African-American vote. We saw him competitive with Biden, behind him in Nevada with African-Americans, but competitive and overwhelmingly winning the Hispanic vote. Bernie Sanders has been broadening his coalition of support throughout this, these early stages in this race. I, I think a lot of
1: people may not realize, I mean, once you have the South Carolina primary, uh, which is Saturday, it's just three days until Super Tuesday. I mean, it doesn't give the candidates much time to you know, bounce back if they don't do well this weekend. I mean, it's just uh, it's an onslaught of votes coming.
2: Yeah, we have these town halls tonight, a big important debate tomorrow night, more town halls, uh, here on CNN on Wednesday, and you are right, just a couple days after that, the primary, and Super Tuesday, three days later, where a third of the delegates, Anderson, are going to be a portion. So this goes into sort of hyperdrive rather quickly. And all these other candidates know it. That's why you see so much heat now. I know it was all trained on Michael Bloomberg last week in Nevada at that debate. But now everyone realizes, it seems in the race, Bernie Sanders is the dominant front runner. And if you're going to try to stop his success at the moment, you
1: don't have much time to do it. David him. David, thanks very much. Joining us now is Axe Files host and CNN senior political commentator, David Axelrod, also CNN senior uh, political reporter, Nia Malika Henderson, a Democratic strategist, Aisha Moody Mills. She's also a CNN political commentator. David, how much of a boost do you think Senator Sanders' Nevada victory gives him in South Carolina?
3: Well, we'll see. He's certainly moving up in the polls. As you point out, he doesn't need to win South Carolina. He'd like to. If he did, he'd basically put... Uh, Biden out of the race or he'd cripple him uh, uh, dramatically. Uh, but uh, he just wants to continue to amass delegates. The advantage he has now, Anderson, is that he uh, is dominant in that progressive lane of the party. He's putting delegates away uh, and the uh, the rest of the party is divided. The people who are the non-Sanders wing of the party uh, is divided. And that suits him uh, just fine. I think that uh, uh, you know, the debate tomorrow night is going to be very important in this way. Michael Bloomberg had a terrible debate in Nevada and it stemmed his progress. He was making steady progress with all the money he was spending in those Super Tuesday states. If Biden does very well tomorrow, uh, on Saturday uh, in, uh, in South Carolina uh, and Bloomberg has a bad, another bad debate tomorrow night, uh, Biden could actually emerge as the alternative uh, to Sanders. And that is what they are betting on.
1: Nia, I mean, if a large number of African Americans do vote for Sanders in South Carolina, would that put to rest the lingering criticism that that, you know, that he hasn't made uh, enough progress in terms of uh, attracting uh, uh, more diverse voters?
4: You know, I think that in some ways is already put to rest by it's his showing. Been yeah, I, I think so. I mean, his showing in Nevada—he's clearly g- growing among uh, Latino voters, winning in that state. Uh, he has a co- coalition of the other folks in this ca- uh, in this campaign so far don't have a uh, multiracial coalitions, right? You look at Biden; he's, he does well with African American voters, uh, not nearly as well as Hillary Clinton did. Uh, she won black voters in South Carolina; she won like eighty-six percent of black voters. You look at this latest. poll. I think Biden is like 35 percent of of black of of black voters. You know, it hurts him that the field uh, is so large. And you've seen Sanders uh, make inroads with black voters, but also white voters. Right. These sort of uh, moderate white voters in the South. He does pretty well in this last poll. Uh, I, I saw in South Carolina and even in Nevada, you can see him making strides uh, with upper income uh, white voters as well. So, you know, you've got South Carolina. It's clear that even if Biden wins, it's not going to be by the same margins. You saw Hillary Clinton uh, win. So that's going to cut into any sort of delegate uh, hole he would take out of South Carolina. Then you go into Super Tuesday states that uh, some of those states are white states, right? Like Colorado has Latinos there, too. It's a state that uh, Bernie Sanders did really well in already. California, he didn't lose it. Um, by that much. Texas has a lot of Latinos there. So, I mean, this is really hard. And, and, and we've got you know these town halls coming up. You've got this, these debates coming up. But this is a train uh, that is fast moving, that has been on this track before. Right. Sanders has won uh, many states before and put together a grassroots organization. So that's really hard yeah. to stop.
1: I, should, I mean, there's still obviously a lot of questions even amongst, you know, moderate Democrats about the electability of Senator Sanders. Those questions get answered, though, the more he wins. I mean, if he does well, incredibly well in, in South Carolina it's it's hard to imagine somebody else overtaking it.
5: It is, and I like to remind people that at the end of the day, the Democrats, the Democratic base, and we, uh, who are people who don't want Donald Trump in the White House, are going to be the ones who actually get rid of Donald Trump from the White House. We're very much fixated on who the figurehead is, and we, uh, every four years we play this game of who's electable, who's not. The reality, though, is that we're going to need to see a movement like we did in 2018, literally a blue wave. At that point, it was about resist coming off of the heels of the Women's March, but we're going to need to see a groundswell of people coming out to get Rid of Donald Trump in order for this to work. Right the now, the only is,
1: candidate who has exactly, a movement is Sanders.
5: Exactly. And that's an interesting thing you can't discount. You also can't discount the fact that he's got this big delegate lead. One person, though, that I'm going to be watching in South Carolina uh, come Saturday is Tom Steyer. This is all about who we keep talking a lot about Bloomberg. And nobody's cast a vote for Bloomberg at this point. But what's interesting is that Steyer has been on the ground also making inroads in the African-American community right now, looking like he could very well walk away from this state getting himself on the delegate board. That change. Changes, he thinks, his trajectory uh, for Tuesday as well, for Super Tuesday. Yeah, I
1: mean, he's put most of his money in South Carolina and ads and also uh, folks on the ground. Trying that,
5: to buy that credibility yeah. to then be able to shift the scales for next Tuesday. So that'll be interesting. But this idea of who's electable or not, at the end of the day, if we are serious, we're serious about our democracy, if we are serious voters, we are the ones who are going to have to come out energetically to vote in our interest. And our interest, um, so many people in this country believe, I believe the majority believe, that our interest is not Donald Trump. Mm. And so at the end of the day, that's what matters above and beyond whether, you know, Bernie's electable or Elizabeth Warren's electable, etc.
1: We're going to take a quick break. We'll have more uh, from our uh, folks, our panel. We'll focus next on Joe Biden and the firewall that he's hoping to make out of South Carolina. That and more as we look ahead to tonight's CNN town halls would start in about 50 minutes from now. Later tonight uh, in our hour, the implications of what we touched on at the top, what Bernie Sanders uh, told me in response to a question I asked him about uh, Cuba and Fidel Castro, the impact it may have in the crucial state of Florida and what he actually said and was what he actually said wrong? Even that the people who are criticizing him haven't necessarily criticized him on the facts. We'll look at that ahead. We talked before the break about Bernie Sanders' victory over the weekend in Nevada and what it may say about his chances in the races to come. He performed especially well there among Hispanic voters. And with African-Americans, Senator Sanders was just six percentage points behind Joe Biden, which means he's making inroads among the very voters who Biden has been counting on and who will be turning out in much higher numbers in South Carolina. Back now with our political team. Uh, David, is South Carolina do or die for Vice President Biden? I mean, if he can't win there, can he, where can he win?
3: I do think that I think he is so pointed to South Carolina as the place where he was going to have a good showing. He's underperformed in uh, the first two states. He did the bare minimum in Nevada, but got beaten pretty badly by Bernie Sanders. Uh, This is a state with 55 to 60 percent African-American vote. Uh, That is his base. Uh, He should do very well in this state. If he were to lose here, he was going to he's going to have to reconsider his uh, race. First of all, he has to raise money. And uh, it's very and he hasn't done very well at it so far. He's not going to do very well if he loses this. I think he's going to have to reevaluate. They seem very confident that they can pull this off. If they don't, I it's very bad news. Yeah, I, I, I mean, if Biden wins in South Carolina,
1: does that I mean, if you're Bernie Sanders, does that really worry you? I mean, it's not is it I mean, it's Sanders who has the movement, who's pulling big crowds and who has, you know, uh, a lot of money.
5: Right now, Bernie Sanders has 45 delegates and Joe Biden has about 15. So even even if Joe Biden picks up some more in South Carolina, he's still probably going to be behind Bernie Sanders. I don't think that this is a calculus for Bernie going into Tuesday. I think coming out of Super Tuesday is really going to be a testament to where things stand and who ends up staying in the race. Um, What's interesting to me, too, is that we are going to have to start talking more about the actual issues on the campaign trail. Right now, we keep talking about electability, and there's this presumption that the person who is more moderate in this case, Joe Biden, is the person that people think is electable. I don't think that's the case. I think that Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders are having conversations about real issues that young people and people of color care about. And when Joe Biden starts talking about more of the same, he loses some of those folks. And at the end of the day, I think that those issues are going to come back up to the fore and matter in terms of mobilizing the base again and who's actually able to have a movement.
1: Nia, yeah. I mean, Senator Klobuchar, Mayor Buttigieg, they've struggled to show that, that they can attract minority voters. And both of them didn't do well with Latinos' In Nevada, if they fail uh, in South Carolina, uh, does that— I mean, are are they done? Does that cement the narrative that they just, they can't build a a diverse coalition?
4: Yeah, I I mean, it's hard to uh, to think where they go from there. What states can Pete Buttigieg uh, or Amy Klobuchar win on Super Tuesday or come close, right? You've got states like California. You've got states uh, like Texas. You need money. You need a coalition, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. Pete Buttigieg uh, talks about uh, being an inclusive candidate, uh, talks about uh, people having a sense of belonging if he wins the presidency, uh, but he doesn't actually have a coalition. And Amy Klobuchar, uh, the same thing. I think they're in single digits, 4 or 5% among African Americans uh, in South Carolina didn't do well with Latinos. So yeah, I mean, I think for for a lot of these candidates, uh, it really is put up or shut up time, uh, particularly after Super Tuesdays, those big, big states. California, almost 500 delegates, right? Uh, If you're any of these candidates that hasn't been able to really put together uh, any sort of fundraising, any sort of energy, any sort of crowd, uh, any sort of just outright victories, it's hard to see how you go on.
3: David, what about Elizabeth Warren? I mean, one inter- Yeah, go ahead, Devin. Yeah, no, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I mean, I think she is an interesting question. She continues to do fairly well in national polls. There was one out over the weekend where she was running second to Bernie Sanders, but she's underperformed in these first few states. She did one interesting nuance of Nevada was she had a very strong debate and she did very well among those voters who said they decided uh, at the end. Uh, she. she she was in the 20s with those voters. Can she have another strong debate performance tomorrow that translates into a surprise uh, finish here? She's the one candidate I would think Bernie Sanders would like to see out of the race because he competes with her. Uh, she competes with him uh, for some of those votes uh, on the left. So she's an interesting candidate, but she has to pull off something of a surprise here. If she has another fourth or fifth place showing, it's going to. I think it's going to depress her ability to do well going into Super Tuesday. Yeah. I, should, I... I
5: just wanted to jump in and just add something to what uh, Nia Malika was just saying. This idea about building a coalition is so crucial. And I, I, I just don't understand where, say, a Bloomberg who has spent all of his time not talking to people, mm. not building a coalition on the ground, not actually mobilizing a base, but throwing ads up. I don't know where the folks who are just playing an ad game think that they're actually going to get real voters from. I mean, to, to Tom Steyer's credit, well, he's been buying ads, but he's also been out there talking to people. My whole family in South Carolina is like, hey, we've been hearing from him. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that you can just, you know, run this as a marketing campaign, yeah. it doesn't work no. that way.
1: We'll see. Okay. Thanks very much, David. Uh, Nia, thank you. Appreciate it. The White House pushing back on reports of Russia's preference for President Trump, what we know and don't about a now controversial House intelligence meeting. The one consensus about the election is that Russians are indeed interfering again. But whether to any one candidate's benefit, well, that's where the waters get muddy. Multiple conflicting reports now about a House Intelligence briefing earlier this month have only complicated the matter. One intelligence official tells CNN that the initial characterization of Russia actively aiding the president was "quote misleading." A national security official went farther, saying that Russia sees the president as "quote a deal maker" to help untangle the story. I want to bring in CNN's Alex Marquardt. So, what went wrong in this briefing by an intelligence official of uh, uh, of Congress? Well, Anderson, this really uh, seems to be a
0: a story of nuance and overstatement. And and this briefing took place behind closed doors, classified briefing to the House Intelligence Committee by the most senior election security official in the intelligence community. Her name is Shelby Pearson. And what we're told, including by an intelligence official who told me a couple hours ago, uh, is that she did not go into what was a very routine briefing with talking points that included uh, possible Russian support for any of the candidates. But it clearly came up. And what she said, according to Numerous officials is that there is Russian uh, support and preference both for President Donald Trump as well as Senator Bernie Sanders uh, in the Democratic primary. Of course, those things are not mutually exclusive when your goal, as is Russia's, is to sow discord and division. Now, where the nuance comes in, where we have to be clear, is that there's no intelligence assessment. There's no evidence uh, that Russia is actively working to support any of the candidates, including those two men. Uh, I spoke with a senior intelligence official uh, in just the past hour who said that at no point did Shelby Pearson say that Russia is aiding in the reelection of President Trump. Clearly, Anderson, it was taken uh, that way by some. And now we've seen Pearson's former boss, the former acting director of national intelligence, Joseph McGuire get pushed out and now replaced by the president uh, with Ambassador Rick Grinnell, who has no
1: intelligence expertise. So is there I mean, it's confusing. Is there clarity on the goals and the tactics of the Russians? I mean, they're interfering. What is the goal? What are the tactics? There is no disputing. Um, that Russia is meddling. They continue
0: to. They never stopped. Uh, Their goal is chaos, division, anger, pitting us against each other. Uh, An elections official at the FBI earlier today said that their goal is to watch us tear ourselves apart. And so what we're seeing in terms of the tactics are some of the old tactics that we've seen before, as well as an evolution in those tactics. Intelligence officials tell us that there will be an evolution in their playbook. Uh, they're going to come at these U.S. elections with misinformation, disinformation campaigns, uh, getting Americans on social media to share things that make us angry and divide us and misinform us. Uh, they're going to be likely... Uh, Hacking situations in which they go after candidates, campaigns, parties, uh, election infrastructure. And one interesting thing that we're keeping an eye on, Anderson, that officials have talked about is Russians using servers here in the United States, which means that agencies like the NSA and the CIA, which work overseas, will will have a much harder time keeping an eye on and
1: thwarting Mm. that Russian threat. Anderson, Alex Marquardt. Appreciate it. Thanks. President Trump is feeling vindicated for the second day in a row. He lashed out at House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. Here he tweeted a link to comments by ally uh, Congressman Jim Jordan. The president wrote, quote, set up by Schiff's lies and leaks. Same with the Mueller witch hunt three years ago. Joining me now is former director of national intelligence and senior national security analyst James Clapper. He's also author of the book Facts and Fears. Hard truth from a life in intelligence. Director Clapper, so you see a lot, see the fallout from this intelligence briefing. I know you had similar briefings with lawmakers and President-elect Trump's team back in 2017 about Russia's influence in the 2016 election. How does something this important get either misstated or misinterpreted? What do you think went on here?
6: Well, you know, I, I obviously don't know, uh, Anderson, since uh, I wasn't there and uh, nobody's talking to me for understandable reasons about what did happen. Um, I think probably uh, Shelby Pearson went in with kind of the uh, under the operating premise, which was the basis for setting up her office that Dan Coats did uh, last summer, w- with the uh, premise that the Russians are going to continue to behave as they did in 2016, interfering in our election, and will probably be supportive of, of President Trump. Now the election isn't until t- November. The Russians will evolve their strategy and tactics as time goes on, just as they did in the run-up to the 2016 campaign. But their basic objectives have not changed. And they want someone that they're comfortable with in in the White House, that they can deal with. And they want to sow as much doubt, discord, and uh, distrust in this country as they possibly can, just as they did in 2016. And regrettable, regrettably, we are a ripe target for that. And, of course, what's recently happened with, at ODNI with the uh, uh, f- f- firing, essentially, of uh, Joe McGuire and, and Andrew Hallman. That's the
1: opposite uh, of director of national intelligence ODNI.
6: Uh, exactly. And, and his acting uh, director. Well, this plays perfectly to Putin's hand. So now he has demonstrably weakened the U.S. intelligence community and uh, succeeded in having the intelligence community cowed into reporting on those very activities. So the winner in all this is Vladimir Putin in Russia?
1: I mean, it's no surprise the president is on this. He's obviously going to be over any mistake by the intelligence community as it relates to, to Russia and the election. Um, I mean, it's, can you fault him on that?
6: Uh, can I fault President Trump?
1: Yeah, for, for jumping on this. I mean, it does it does seem that clearly whatever happened in this briefing, uh, I mean, it's not really clear what happened, I guess.
6: Well, it's not uh and yeah, obviously it is. i mean it it, it plays to uh his paranoia and and, and insecurity i I, I suppose um, but uh it, I mean it's correct for him to be sensitive about it, but uh, at the same time, uh by overreacting to this uh he I, and which I guess is the objective, the end result is going to be suppress further reporting on on the Russian uh, activity. Now, maybe that's that's what he wants. You know, uh, he just doesn't want to hear about it. So th- that comports with his worldview better.
1: There's reporting from CNN this evening that the acting DNI, Richard Grinnell, has yet to communicate with the uh, the the full state of the, the Office of, of National Intelligence, despite having gotten the job some five days ago. It, is is that unusual? I mean, does it take you know, I don't know what the security clearance situation is, um, He's coming from a, being ambassador in, in Germany. Um, what do you make of that that transfer?
6: Well, I don't think that uh, Ambassador Grinnell is put there to uh, try to master intelligence, uh, to familiar, familiarize himself with this huge enterprise that he sits atop of. He's there to do a purge and to get the intelligence community, and I use air quotes here, under control. So uh, typically, yeah, you'd put out a... a Uh, some communication to all the employees. You get to know the staff. You find out what the problems are. You know, the typical thing you do is, hey, how do you do business around here? Well, that's not what he's about. Hmm. Uh, He's there for a different reason.
1: James Clopper, I appreciate you being on. Thank you very much. We're going to have more in just a moment on President Trump and Russians. Gary Kasparov, a Russian pro-democracy leader and former world chess champion, joins me to uh, discuss his take on Putin's strategy for 2020.
7: America's getting back to work. In this new economy, your business needs every advantage to succeed. You need to be smart. And smart companies run on the world's number one cloud business system, NetSuite by Oracle. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over every part of your business, your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need, all in one place. Whether you're doing a million in sales or hundreds of millions, NetSuite lets you expertly keep track of every penny. It gives you the agility to compete with anyone work from anywhere, and run your whole company right from your phone. Over 20,000 companies trust NetSuite to make it happen. Make yours one of them. Learn more by visiting netsuite.com ac360. From there, you can schedule a tour of NetSuite and get their free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now. It's chock full of the top strategies executives are using as America reopens for business. Get your free guide and product tour now at netsuite.com ac360.
1: As we discussed before the break, one belief that came from that House Intelligence Committee meeting is that Vladimir Putin has, if not actively aided the president's re-election, at least shown a preference for him. Today, in response to the reports on that briefing, the White House told CNN that, quote, no one has been tougher on Russia than this administration. Joining me is Gary Kasparov, former world chess champion, Russian pro-democracy leader and chairman of the Human Rights Foundation. He's also the author of the book Winter is Coming by Vladimir Putin and the enemies of the free world must be stopped. So, um... A senior FBI official is saying today that Russia's goal is essentially to, uh, to, to watch us tear ourselves apart. Do you, does that sound
8: Absolutely. accurate to you? Absolutely. Yeah, spreading chaos. That was Putin's goal. Not only in America, it's, uh, it's across Europe. You could see him eagerly supporting far right or far left, making sure that the center is decimated. Mm. And uh, again, every country looks like a house divided. So that's what he's looking for, because he's afraid that, you know, with American leadership, uh, the free world can be united against his aggression in, in, in Europe. Um, and it's especially stupid to deny that Putin wants Trump to be reelected, because Putin said it himself, standing next to Trump in Helsinki. So he made no secret that he wanted Trump to win in 2016, and he made no secret that he wanted, uh, he wanted he wants Trump to be reelected, because it's not just for what Trump does, but it's probably more for what Trump doesn't do. Mm. Uh, So he doesn't talk about human rights. He doesn't talk about democracy. He doesn't uh, um, foster the alliances uh, with with, with traditional American uh, uh, allies. Exactly. That makes the free world weaker.
1: It's interesting, though, the idea of, uh, you know, the idea that he could be through uh, disinformation or whatever it may be, or election interference, uh, pushing Trump, but also pushing Bernie Sanders. The idea of the center... Uh, is sort of the enemy, that he's, he basically is trying to... They yes. try to support the the, the the various sides of the spectrum.
8: Yes, and I think they are coordinating the efforts because if you see that's, that's, that's what's happening now on, in the conservative media, it's somewhat a reflection of what's happened in 2016 liberal media ignoring Trump because many people believe that Trump would be ideal opponent for Hillary to beat. Mm. Now, uh, Fox just has a moratorium on, on Sanders. Mm. You know, it's amazing. It's a self-declared socialist, and he's just not on the radar. Mm. But at the same time, if you follow Trump's speeches, like in Davos at World Economic Forum, or his State of the Union, when he brought Guaido, it's, it's deep, the... Uh, president of Venezuela, so Mm. I definitely recognize him. So it clearly shows that he's preparing his campaign, he's shaping it against Sanders. Mm. So And of course, Putin believes, uh, and I think he shared his beliefs with Trump, that Sanders could be an ideal candidate uh, to go after. Uh, Don't forget, Sanders made many statements supporting the Soviet Union here in America. Imagine what Sanders, at that time Mayor Sanders, could have said in the Soviet Union back there uh, when he was, you know, just wanted to please his hosts. And I have no doubt that if he said something uh, incriminating, Vladimir Putin has it on files.
1: I mean, the statement that he made publicly was about youth programs in the former Soviet Yeah, but here,
8: but it's, but you know, eating and drinking there in the Soviet Union, he could be, you know, more open about praising Soviet Union. And I have no doubt that it's already, you know, just, you know, uh, piled in in, 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 uh, in the White House, re- ready ready to go when or if Sanders. it. Is it is
1: remarkable that, you know, you we now talk about the White House having purges of officials who are not towing the line. It, again, it is reminiscent of, you know,
8: when you think the word purges, you think Soviet Union. I, 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 I hate telling you uh, I I said so many times. Now, it's just it's 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 not just, you know, solving one problem at a time. I mean, firing the head of DNI after these these uh, um, agency said, Allegedly, that's what I understand at the hearings that Russia was interfering. It's not just simply, you know, uh, putting Trump's man on top of the Trump's uh, lackey on top of the organization, but it's sending message across the board
4: to, to the get, entire
8: organization. Exa- exactly. You go against me. That's that's what's going to happen. Same happened with with Alexander Wittmann. Everybody talked about him being fired, but it's more important what Trump did to his twin brother. You he know, he was removed exactly, from exactly, but it's, it's, that's well. a message. You go know, if you do something against yes, me, I will go after your family. That's a, That's that's a, that's that's from classical books. You know, that's from Marabuza, Godfather. This is dictators and mafia bosses do to protect their interests. They go after the family the of, idea of that, the senders.
1: That they're making lists now, which we were reporting about today, to, of of potentially anybody who they think is disloyal to be purged Absolutely. out. It, it's weakening what they would call the deep state but, but, or the oh, bureaucracy.
8: Exactly, because it is less people are just in in, in this powerful position you know as more power is concentrated in the hands of the inner circle and the, and it would- be dictator himself and let's imagine Trump is, has been doing it now in the election year if he got forbid is re-elected you know just he will have no more constraints and that's what Putin Putin is betting on
1: it's you know you uh, remember Marie Ivanovich the uh, the former American ambassador to Ukraine who who was removed uh, she talked about the the State Department being hollowed out from the inside Absolutely which is a, a terrifying idea. It's sort of you don't even notice it from the outside, but inside but it's it, been but It's a record
8: out. number of positions in the in state, in, right. in defense, in many other agencies, in intelligence agencies that are not being filled because, again, less people are just in these positions. More power will be concentrated in the hands of chosen few that Trump nominated.
1: Uh, Gary Kasparov, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Coming up, Bernie Sanders told me in a 60 Minutes interview... Some fair to say everything is bad about Fidel Castro's Cuban uh, regime. I asked him about comments he had made uh, in the past about uh, literacy rates uh, in Cuba. We're going to play for you the entire exchange. Some Democrats are going after Sanders Ford, obviously Republicans as well. We'll show you what he actually said and how it stands up to the facts uh, ahead. Senator Bernie, Bernie Sanders prepares for tonight's CNN Town Hall in South Carolina, he'll be on the stage in about 15 minutes. He's facing criticism following his comments to me about Fidel Castro. Sanders sat down with me for an interview for 60 Minutes that aired last night. Here's some of the report that aired. Back in the 1980s, Sanders had some positive things to say about the former Soviet Union and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And the, everybody was totally convinced. Here he is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. And
3: he educated the kids, gave them health care, totally
1: transformed
6: the society. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel
1: Castro did it? There's a lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right,
6: and we condemn that. Unlike Donald Trump, let's be clear, you want to, I do not think that Kim Jong-un is a good friend. I don't trade love letters with a murdering dictator. Vladimir
9: Putin,
1: not a great friend of mine. Our supporters of Sanders point out that he's essentially saying something very similar to what President Obama once said about education and healthcare in Cuba. Mike Bloomberg and Pete Buttigieg were quick to criticize Sanders' remarks. And some Florida Democrats have also attacked Sanders. Florida is obviously a state vital to Democratic hopes for the presidency in November. Democratic Congresswoman Debbie uh, McCarcel, Powell, McCarcel Powell joins me now. Her district is in South Florida. Congresswoman, thanks so much for being with us. You're calling Senator Sanders' comments absolutely unacceptable. Is Sanders wrong in what he said?
9: Anderson, as the first South American member of Congress, I represent thousands of Cuban American families that have fled the brutal dictatorship under the Castro regime. And and yes, they are completely unacceptable. The Cuban regime continues to oppress its people. It continues to cause unspeakable f- harm to thousands of families. It's actually currently propping up another brutal dictatorship in Venezuela And uh, those comments are extremely hurtful to so many people here in my area and and very offensive.
1: All right. But is he actually wrong factually? I mean, agreed. Obviously, everything you said about brutal dictatorships. Absolutely. I mean, Sanders did say we oppose the authoritarian nature of the regime. He condemns impressing dissidents. What he said was what President Obama said about Cuba back in 2016, which is, you know, yeah, they have their literacy rates are very high. And actually, for a country that poor, uh, that they uh, their medical care is relatively good for Latin America.
9: Look, there is a saying here in South Florida by many Cubans that they say, you know, Castro may have given us Healthcare and education, but he didn't give us breakfast, lunch or dinner. So the reason why the Cuban people have not been able to rise up is because he has targeted any of its dissidents by jailing them and many times even murdering them. So that is why the Cuban people continue to be oppressed. And I will continue to stand up for my community against any har- harmful policies or comments like the one the Senator made. And that's why I have been continuing to stand up to the Trump administration, because he has consistently targeted immigrants that are living in my district. He has consistently rejected any sort of gun violence reform that we have sent him to the Senate. And I will continue to do that. That is what I was elected to do, to stand up for my community. And and that's what I intend to do.
1: Um, I I do want to play for our viewers what President Obama had said, which uh, a lot of supporters of Sanders are pointing to. Uh, in the wake of this. Let's, let's play that.
3: I said this to President Castro in Cuba. I said, I, look, you've made great progress in educating uh, ch- uh, young people. Uh, every child in Cuba gets a basic education. That's, that's a, a huge improvement from where it was. But you drive around Havana and you say, this economy is not working.
1: Is that as offensive
6: to you?
9: Anderson, I am going to be very strong against anyone making any comments, giving any credit to Castro. I mean, let's be clear here. We still have thousands of Cubans that are here trying to be reunited with their families. The Trump administration closed down a program, which I actually introduced a bill called the Cuban Reunification Parole Program to restart that program. People are trying to leave that country. So again, I, they may have introduced literacy programs, but what they also introduced is a dictatorship that has targeted so many thousands of families that continue yeah. to suffer the pain and the suffering from that regime.
1: How do you think this, uh, does this, do you, I mean, long-term, do you think this hurts Senator Sanders, uh, certainly among the people you represent in, in South Florida? Well, uh,
9: For me personally, I'm going to continue to just focus on all the work that we've been doing in the House of Representatives. I do think that it may hurt the senator and I I would invite him to come down to South Florida and actually meet with some of these families so he understands the pain that those comments cause. Uh,
1: Congressman, uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
9: Thank you so much, Anderson.
1: All right. Quick programming note. I spoke with Actress and activist Rosanna Arquette, after today's filmmaker Harvey Weinstein, the producer, was found guilty of committing a criminal sex act and rape in the third degree. Arquette is one of more than 80 women who have accused Weinstein of sexual misconduct. You can watch the interview tomorrow on Full Circle, or it's our new digital news program streaming at c fullcircle Full Circle. It'll be there also uh, at some point. It'll be there on demand as well. Up next, friends and fans gathered to remember former NBA star Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi. The tributes from Shaq and Michael Jordan and Vanessa Bryant ahead. It's hard to overstate the emotional devastation that the loss in a helicopter crash of NBA legend Kobe Bryant, his 13-year-old daughter Gigi and seven others left in its wake. It was plain to see, however, on the faces of the estimated 20,000 fans and teammates, friends and family members today at the Staples Center in Los Angeles as clearly you could see the wounds you could also see healing through tears sometimes laughter and memories
6: i'm here
4: because i love kobe and this was one of his favorite songs your love is bright as ever even in the shadows even in the shadow. Baby, kiss me. Baby, kiss me.
8: Please welcome Vanessa Bryant. Your,
10: Your heart Your heart Gianna Bryant is an amazingly sweet and gentle soul. She had the best laugh. It was infectious, it was pure and genuine. She was an incredible athlete. I won't be able to tell her how gorgeous she looks on her wedding day. I'll never get to see my baby girl walk down the aisle, have a father-daughter dance with her daddy, dance on the dance floor with me, or have babies of her own. Gigi would have most likely become the best player in the WNBA. She would have made a huge difference.
6: As I got to know him, I wanted to be the best big brother that I could be. Now he's got me, I'll have to look at another crime meme for the Knicks. The guys were complaining. I said, Shaq, Kobe's not passing the ball. I said, I'll talk to him. I said, Kobe, there's no iron team. Kobe said, I know, but there's an M.E. in that mother
10: <laughs> Kobe was known as a fierce competitor on the basketball court. The greatest of all time, a writer, an Oscar winner, and the Black Mamba. But to me, he was Kobe Kobe. My boo-boo, my baby boo my poppy chulo. Kobe and I have been together since I was 17 and a half years old. I was his first girlfriend, his first love, his wife, his best friend, his confidant, and his protector. May you both rest in peace and have fun in heaven until we meet again one day. We love you both and miss you forever and always. Mommy. For my hustle. I gave you my heart.
1: Kobe Bryant was 41 years old, his daughter, just 13. We remember them tonight, as well as Christina Mauser, who was laid to rest, John Alyssa, Carrie John Alyssa, Altabello, Sarah and Peyton Chester, the heli- and, uh, Altabelli, and the helicopter pilot, Ara Zobayan. We remember them. Next on CNN, the first of three CNN town halls tonight. First up, my colleague Chris Cuomo with Senator Bernie Sanders.